2 Chronicles 15, verse number 1. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet King Asa, and said unto him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God, without a teaching priest, without the law. And when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation and city of city. For God did vex them with all adversity. Be strong therefore and let not your hands be weak. For your work shall be rewarded. Heavenly Father, we pray that our work by your grace might be rewarded because we are doing your work your way. We don't pretend to be smart enough. We don't pretend to be strong enough. We ask for your direction to show us what your work really is. And we plead for your power to carry forth your work for your honor and glory. Humble us where we need to be humbled. Lift us up where we need to be strong. And may the Savior, our Redeemer, be glorified in these things. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. We've had quite a few references to Hebrews chapter 11 over the last month or two months. Paul's great study of faith. One of the highlights of Hebrews 11 is verse number 6, which says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Reiterating the first part of that statement, Paul says, Without faith it is impossible to please God impossible to please God. The Lord is not pleased with any effort to worship him or serve him if that service is not mixed with trust in him for the Lord's blessings. If it's done in the flesh, it's a waste of time. We must have the Lord to serve him properly. The more we lean on the Lord, the more he is pleased. And then the opposite is true as well. Faith in the Lord glorifies God as little else because when we do it properly, it just empties us of ourselves and the Lord becomes everything in this service, in this worship. Now, will you agree with me that that part of the verse is often emphasized? In fact, I think I preached on it not too long ago. The second part of the verse says that we must believe that God is. The God that we're coming to exists. I suppose we don't need to preach on that very often around here. We believe in the existence of God. 
So the first part of the verse is often mentioned. The second part we just take for granted. And the third part is quite often skipped. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is a rewarder. He repays the efforts of those who earnestly seek him by faith. I didn't take time to read all of them, but I can say that the Bible speaks very often about rewards. The word reward is very common in the word of God. And many of those scriptures point out that God is a rewarder to those who serve him in faith, to those who diligently seek him. With that in mind, let me ask you a question. It's not in any way meant as a criticism because I'm certainly not... uh, diligent in in this particular thing, no expert here, but my question is this, have you sought the Lord today? He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Have you sought the Lord today? When you got up this morning, did you spend time in prayer beseeching God to reveal himself to you and to your neighbor in today's church services? Did you plead with the Lord to reveal himself, display himself, show himself? As you came to church, did you come with your heart yearning for more of the Lord? Or did you come for the fellowship? Did you come for the cookies and the coffee? Why did you come? Did you trust the Lord that he would bless you? Did you come diligently seeking the Lord? Remember, it is impossible to please the Lord without faith. Without faith. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Rarely does God grant any sort of victory to unsuspecting people, to people who are not desiring that spiritual victory. Rarely does revival come out of church which doesn't earnestly yearn for that revival. Asking, seeking, knocking loudly on heaven's door. Lord, send a revival. Lord, stir the hearts of of me and, and our neighbors. The Lord is a rewarder of them that diligently Seek him. As an example which is not found in Hebrews chapter 11, let's think about another event from the history of Israel. Consider, if you will, the people of God, the prophet of God, the spirit of God, and the message of God as we find them here in 2 Chronicles 15 and also in chapter 14. The people of God were at that time led by King Asa. Asa was the third king since Solomon. He was immediately preceded by his father Abijah who reigned for only three years. Before him, the first king after Solomon, 
was Asa's grandfather, Rehoboam. During the days of Rehoboam, the nation of Israel split. Ten of the tribes of Israel to the north side of the, of the country, they all followed Jeroboam. They established a kingdom of their own, leaving uh, the house of David with only Judah and Benjamin and some of the tribe of Simeon was mixed in there as well. So two tribes and ten tribes. Chapters 14 and 15 took place less than 25 years after the death of Solomon. Relatively short period of time. However, during the moderately good reigns of Solomon and his successors, Judah had fallen into a spiritual uh, malaise, lethargy, and to some degree, idolatry. As I said this morning, Asa's mother, as we see later on in chapter 15, if we wanted to read it, even Asa's mother has a grove in which she has an idol. And Asa took care of that, but uh, mom was uh, no longer queen. She was kicked out of office. In application, Judah was no longer glorifying God. In application, Judah was no longer preaching the gospel. They were not the representatives of God that they were commissioned to be. The people of the nation were carrying out their God-given responsibilities. They were no longer ambassadors for Jehovah. They were still going about the motions of religion, meeting every week, singing the Psalms of David, but the heart was not there. The diligence was gone. The faith was absent. Look at verse 3. Now for a long season Israel, notice that, Israel, both divisions apparently, north and south, hath been without the true God, without a teaching priest, without the law. My paraphrase would be, since before the death of Solomon, Israel claimed to worship Jehovah, but the people had corrupted his image in their hearts. And oh, they had lots of priests, lots and lots of religion, lots of priests, but no teaching priests. No one there to preach the word of God to them. They had tons of religion, lots of pomp and ceremony, but they had no heart for the Lord. They were without the law. They were th without the word of God. Not that it wasn't available to them. Everybody had a Bible sitting on their coffee table at home, but nobody was reading it. No one cared what it had to say. The people heard nothing but good, uh, feel-good, philosophical, psychological messages. And everybody was satisfied with that. Well, not everybody. And when their attentions were turned away from the Lord... The Lord turned his attention away from them. And in those days there was no peace to him that went out or to him that came in. Without the blessing and protection of the Lord, tribulation and problems fell upon the inhabitants of Israel and Judah. In fact, God did vex them with all adversity. Verse number six. All adversity 
The economy collapsed. Epidemics swept through the population. Maybe there were locusts that attacked. Civil unrest. Corrupt local governments. Power-mad politicians. Does any of this sound familiar? And that is before, during, and after enemy nations started their uh, saber-rattling and threatening to attack. In chapter 14, there arose an enemy in the form of Zira the Ethiopian. He had an army of a thousand thousand soldiers, verse number 9. If my math is correct, that's about a million men. Million-man army. He also had 300 chariots, which would have created an attack similar to Hitler's Blitzkrieg. It wasn't just a slow-moving army. They had the tanks as well. King Asa, a man who did that which was right, good and right in the eyes of the Lord, 14.2, had tried to prepare Judah for the inevitable judgment of God. He tried cleaning things up. Either his reforms were only superficial, or perhaps what is described in the first part of chapter 14 came after chapter 15, but I'm not in a position to say that was so. In his efforts to rebuild fortifications... This did nothing to deter Zerah's desire to uh, take Israel and Judah. Today, Satan hates the Lord's church. And when one representative of his body begins to catch fire for the Lord, begins to move forward... When there's someone in the congregation like Asa who says, let's do something for God, I get Satan's attention. And he may bring his armies, swift-moving, all-encompassing armies. Back in the day, Asa went out against Zerah with his Judean army half the size of the Ethiopian army. And they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephathan and Merasah. Then good-hearted Asa, knowing that he was militarily handicapped, cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing to thee to help, whether by many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on Thee. And in Thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, Thou art our God. Let not man prevail against Thee. This is a wonderful prayer displaying considerable faith in Asa's part. We rest on Thee. And it's in thy name we go against this multitude. Let not these Ethiopians prevail against thee. Me and my 500,000, they're nothing. We come in the name of the Lord as David did against Goliath. And if we go down, your name goes down, Lord. We beseech you, Lord. 
Intercede on our behalf. When put this way, when Asa prayed in faith, laying everything in the hands of the Lord, God responded as we would expect him to. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa, before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Who won? God won and drove those Ethiopians south. I can imagine the relief and the joy that must have filled the heart of the king when his scouts came back saying, you should see them in total disarray, running as fast as they can to get away home. With God's blessings, Asa saved the kingdom. He preserved David's throne. He saved the lives of his wife and family. It was a great day in the annals of of Hebrew history. And God was indeed glorified. And today, isn't this the same sort of thing that we would like to see in a spiritual sort of way? The victory of God over souls, over hearts. Don't we want the Lord's glory? Don't we we want to be a part of a, a dynamic church? Serving the Lord in a, in a city where God is blessing not just this little corner of 12th and Spokane, but the, the entire city and, and everyone that is endeavoring to serve the Lord. Don't we want to hear the salvation of souls? Don't we want to see Post Falls filled with the Spirit of God? Lord, send victory. Lord, send revival. Be with us as you were with Judah 940 years ago. It's with this behind us that we come to chapter 15. And our text which describes the visit of Azariah, the son of Oded. Most people, even Christian people, are more apt to see their need of the Lord when things are on a downward turn, when things aren't going well, I need the Lord. When I'm not feeling well, I need the Lord. When I'm in financial distress, I need the Lord. When we're in good health and our income is slightly higher than our expenses, we're prone not to consider our dependence upon God. When the ocean is calm and life is smooth, we tend to forget our dependence on our loving Heavenly Father. After our victory at Mount Carmel, we may relax too much and not keep our eye open for Satan creeping along in the form of Jezebel or others to attack. After the great church service, as a rousing message comes to an end, after the salvation of one or two lost souls and the stirring of Christian hearts, we may become just a little uh, pleased with ourselves, full of ourselves, satisfied. That is when we really need the ministry of God's prophet. That's when we start looking in the wrong direction. I'm not making any accusations against Asa, a king that God commended. 
But I can see the potential for just a little pride in that man after the defeat of the Ethiopians. Even, even in saying, praise the Lord, in the back of his mind might have been the thought, you know, God used me. I was in the right place. God used me to defeat the Ethiopians. I, I, I was the Lord's sword. Maybe he couldn't have done it without me. Praise the Lord. Exactly why does chapter 15 follow chapter 14? It's not just a pneumatic uh, sequential number thing. There may have been another very good reason why this chapter follows 14. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. We know nothing about this Azariah. As I said this morning, it's a very common name. At least two dozen different people in the Old Testament, or basically in the Old Testament, had the name Azariah. But this particular son of Oded is mentioned nowhere else. Nowhere else in the Word of God. That may not mean very much to you, but it means something to me. It's a reminder that God can raise up and use anyone. As a preacher, as a prophet, names and positions and conquests in the past, previous victories, they are not important to the Lord as far as any man's usefulness is today. He might pick somebody who's tasted victory to use for another victory, and then again, he may pick up nobody, a nobody, and set him in a place where he can do some good for the Lord. The name Azariah means Jehovah has helped. And the Lord has just helped Judah to defeat the Ethiopians. And Azariah needs some help right now in this ministry that's just going to last a, a few minutes as far as we're concerned, standing before King Asa. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. Apparently, as the king was returning from this victorious battle against the Ethiopians. If the two men had met earlier and knew each other, I'm sure it would have made things easier, but we have no indication of that. So I am picturing a triumphant king of Judah, ecstatic with the uh, home win over the visiting team from the south. Oh, he's overjoyed. I, I think that he's probably happier and more chatty with his people than he generally is. They're just uh, riding along or walking along, patting each other on the back and telling jokes and laughing at what the Ethiopians had gone through. Then all of a sudden, standing in the road was a rather stern-looking prophet of God, sucking the joy out of everything. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, giving him boldness to carry out the commission he had given him, that the Lord had given him. God gave this prophet a message and an opportunity to share that message. The Spirit of God created the ministry the Spirit of God created that man for this ministry. 
So the Holy Spirit gave Azariah a message. Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. No introductory words of uh, uh, commendation. No congratulations, no praise. I don't even hear the sound of a smile in his voice. Hey, Asa, you men of Judah and Benjamin, Azariah knows that there is still danger in the region. And that danger was creeping into these men's hearts with every step they took toward home. Satan had been given a slap in the face, and he is going to be angry at this point. Asa needs to be more vigilant and diligent than he had been before. Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him, while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. There are three things in verse 2. The first is, the Lord is with you while you be with him. While ye be with him. The omnipresent God, the God who is always present everywhere at all times, has decreed to reveal himself and bless only those who deliberately choose to stand with him. God can do what he wants to do. He's God. As a church, we want the Lord to be present with us this evening and every time we gather together, Wednesday, Sunday morning, prayer meeting. And we can't expect him to meet with us, but only while we choose to make this place his house, his home. This is not... Oldfield's pulpit, where he can show off and do and say things he chooses. This is God's pulpit. This is not your church. This is not our church. This is the Lord's house. We are visiting his home, so to speak. We ask, we pray that the Lord would come and bless us. Uh, yeah. But it would be more correct for us to say, Lord, would you receive us into your presence and bless us there? He will walk with us when we walk with him. When we think to invite the Lord to meet with us, we're on the edge of uh, Holy Spirit desertion. Second thing Azariah says is, if we seek him, he will be found. But without faith... It is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We need to learn to come to God's house looking for the Lord, expecting to meet the Lord, anticipating the Lord's blessings. The Hebrew word translated seek here, if we seek him, is quite common, found around 150 times in the Bible. About half the time, the word is translated with some aspect of to seek, that sort of thing. But it's not always seeking with the eye. Not always with the telescope or the microscope or the bibliscope. David exhorted us all in 1 Chronicles 16, 
Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. By what means do we seek the Lord? With our mind? We seek him by faith, with the heart. David said in Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from my fears. And in Psalm 9, he said, They that know thy name, Lord, will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Scriptures like this remind us that seeking the Lord is not some light internet sort of thing. Google the name of God. There he is. No, that's not the seeking that uh, we're talking about here. Our searching is wholehearted. Or he will not respond to it. Diligently seek him. If we forsake him, he will forsake us. There's so many different ways that we can forsake the Lord. So many ways deliberate and unintentional to forsake him. For example, when we make our worship services more about ourselves than it is the Son of God, we forsake him. When this is not about the word of God or the preaching of the gospel, we forsake him. He will forsake us. When we make our primary objective some system, whether it be covenant theology or landmarkism or some theory of eschatology over the worship of God and over the commission that he's given to us, he will forsake us. If that is our concentration, he'll just say goodbye. And we're left to our own devices. For a long season, American churches have been without the true God, without a teaching priest, without the Word of God. No wonder, no, no wonder we no longer have any influence in this society. No wonder our attendance and membership is comparatively small. I'm speaking of churches in general, us in particular. When our focus becomes changing the government, the Lord will forsake us. When our primary interest is fighting against the LGBTQ agenda, rather than preaching the gospel and striving for souls, then we will become spiritually anemic and powerless. God is not interested today in spiritual reforms. He wants Bible teachers and evangelists. I would sooner die than be called a reformer. Azariah concluded his short sermon with the words, Be strong, therefore. Let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. There's only so much anyone can do to strengthen weakened hands. We can go to the gym. We can go to the doctor's office, we can go to the physical therapy place, work on our hands. They can look at our hands. We can look at our hands. Hand, I would like you to be stronger. If a stroke has paralyzed that hand, there may be no ser surgery, no therapy that can fix it. Asa, don't look to your flesh for your, any future victory. Don't turn to the tactics of the world. Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you're with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. 
He will strengthen your hand. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Asa, your work shall be rewarded if it's work that's done for God, not for your glory. If it's done in the power of God, if it's done for the glory of God. And the same is true with any of the churches of the 21st century. If our purpose and our desire is to glorify the Lord and we're trying to do that work God's way from Genesis to Revelation, then we can expect the Lord to be with us. And when the Lord is with us, there's, there's power there. Be strong and trust the Lord to strengthen your hands and your efforts for your work shall be rewarded. Paul said to the Corinthians, Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do it right. It will accomplish God's will. You might not think so. Don't worry about that. We want to glorify the Lord. Our labor for the Lord will not be in vain when we are with the Lord. When we seek His will. And we seek His chosen victories. God has promised if we meet the criteria of faith and service, your work shall be rewarded. That's what we want. Please stand.